Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Today, more on the impact in our area of the Israel-Hamas war. When there is a protest at a school, we have, we have resources on site, we have resources off site, and we've been working well at the school, so we're going to continue to do that. The WBGO Studios podcast, Conversations with Sydney, wins a major award. Sid and I can pretty much talk about anything, but this conversation left me feeling totally unsettled. WBGO's John Kalish has part two of his series about tech leader Jill Ford and her former high school principal. Even after I've left New Brunswick, New Brunswick has stayed in my heart. And so I have always been very close to a variety of people who really contributed to raising me in a very big way. And I'll chat with the five finalists of the 12th annual Saravon International Jazz Vocal Competition at NJPAC. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. The New York City Police Department is now going to have uniformed officers at all colleges and universities in the city with tensions high because of the war between Israel and Hamas. When there is a protest at a school, we have, we have resources on site, we have resources off site, and we've been working well at the school, so we're going to continue to do that. That's NYPD Chief John Schell, who says officers helped keep the peace Wednesday at the Cooper Union. At one point, a school official put Jewish students inside the library with pro-Palestinian protesters approaching in the hallway. For about roughly 10 minutes, approximately 10 minutes, they were banging on the doors of the library and banging on some uh, transparent windows. From that point, the protesters left. Meanwhile, there's been about 110 demonstrations in the city since the Hamas attack on Israel. There's been more than 200 arrests, most for acts of disobedience. In the shadows of the Palestine-Israel conflict, incidents of harassment are on the rise against Palestinian Americans, supporters of Palestine, or anyone who is perceived as Muslim. WBGO's Kenneth Burns talks to community organizers documenting these incidents. Michael Wilson, a veteran, has been an activist in Philadelphia for 25 years. When the recent conflict between Israel and Palestine broke out, he attended a rally and spoke in support of Palestine. That's when trouble began. Wilson was told by family and friends that he was doxxed, which means somebody released his name, email address, phone number, and pictures of his home all over the Internet. I said, wow, that's sort of shocked me in the beginning. And they said, aren't you scared? Well, I don't know so much if I was scared as I was really unbalanced. Wilson says after his personal information got leaked, he has been receiving an avalanche of hate calls, sometimes 50 calls in an hour. He has stopped answering his phone unless he recognizes the incoming number. I don't want to hear what they were saying to me. You know, I know where you live. Your time is up. We're going to kill you. You shouldn't have said what you said. A spokesperson for the Philadelphia chapter of the Council of American Islamic Relations says the organization is tracking several harassment and doxing incidents where victims range from students to employees in the workplace. Dina Syed Ahmad, who is with CARE New Jersey, says it is no different in the Garden State. Five first-year medical students at Rowan University are now facing academic review following posts they've made sharing news about Israel's war on Gaza. This all has a muzzling effect. Salah Adin Maksud, CARE New Jersey's executive director, adds that a few high school students in Cherry Hill who made statements supporting human rights in Palestine also became targets. These parents circulated minor students' photos online in community forums, Facebook, and other places, opening them up to harassment across the township. 
Community advocacy groups told us the recent spike in harassment and doxing is similar to post 9-11, where there was a spike in hate incidents against anyone perceived to be Muslim. Lavanya Raghavan is a board member with AAPI Montclair. People are misidentified as Arab Americans, such as the Sikh community, face that hate, as well as the Muslim Americans and the Arab Americans, of course, we're getting reports from all over. Raghavan says her organization is concerned about the safety of the community, and she and her colleagues are keeping an eye on the hate incidents. I'm Kenneth Burns, WBGO News. You're listening to the WBGO Journal. We are quite proud to announce the WBGO Studios podcast, Conversations with Sydney, has won two first-place awards in the prestigious second annual Signal Awards contest, celebrating the world's best podcast. Conversations with Sydney is a solutions-oriented podcast series exploring effective ways for parents, teens, schools, and communities to respond to the ongoing crisis of teen mental health and suicide. Each episode is framed as an intimate conversation between a father, Micah Fink, and his non-binary teenager, Sydney, as they search for real-world solutions by speaking with parents, doctors, and national leaders in the field of teen suicide prevention. Conversations with Sydney won the Signal Awards Silver Medal for the general category of Best Indie Podcast and a Silver Medal for Craft for the Best Co-Host Team. They're in good company, since the other Signal winners include Michelle Obama, Oprah Winfrey, Ava Longoria, Questlove, and Jon Stewart, to name a few. Here's Episode 1 of Conversations with Sydney. Please be advised that this story touches on issues relating to mental health and suicide, which some listeners may find upsetting. I've never found that talking about mental health was particularly uncomfortable. Not until Sydney, my non-binary teenager, dropped a bomb during dinner. Hi, Sid. Hi. Tell me about yourself. Uh, my name is Sydney. I'm 16, pronouns they, them. Uh, I like to make music and draw and generally do anything with my hands. So what's going on at your school? Uh, I was in the marching band at the beginning of this year uh, and last year, and I noticed that a lot of my friends were talking almost constantly about committing suicide or or self-harm. And I myself was in a similar place, a similar mindset. But I was worried for a number of my friends because uh, for some of them, it seemed like they were serious, and I was worried that they wouldn't make it to our senior year in high school. That's pretty heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, who did you tell about it? Uh, I talked to my parents. You. I mean, as you. <laughs> um. Sid and I can pretty much talk about anything, but this conversation left me feeling totally unsettled. Was it okay for me to be talking about suicide with Sid? And should we tell the school that they seem to have a serious problem? I decided to reach out to Tracy Klinginger, who runs the Suicide Prevention Program at the Mental Health Alliance, a community organization based in Montclair, New Jersey, which is close to home. Okay, hit, 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 hit record, hit record, and we'll just see if it works. So I'd like to ask you a bunch of sort of basic questions. If your kid comes home and says your friends are talking about suicide, what do you do? So I think you're like most parents where they're not sure if they should even bring up the topic. Um, and that's one of the greatest myths when we're talking about suicide is that people fear if they say that word suicide or if they 
ask that question about suicide that they're gonna put that idea in that person's head. And that's not the case at all. Your kids are already talking about it. You actually give them a safe place to talk about some scary stuff. So how seriously should we take it if we hear teens talking about suicide? One of the myths is if a child talks about killing themselves, it's just a cry for help and you should just ignore it because, you know, it's attention seeking or they're being dramatic. And I always say, well, why would we ignore a cry for help? Whatever the situation may be, it's important that if we hear anything about someone thinking about suicide, that we need to tell someone. You know, I could speak from my own experience because years ago I was feeling suicidal and I didn't say anything because I felt like I was a burden to so many people in my life. When I was asked, are you thinking about killing yourself? I felt like this weight was just taken off my shoulders, this burden that I was feeling for so long. It was kind of like, oh, oh my God, I could talk about it. Tracy, I don't remember people talking about suicide in the schools when I was growing up in the 1970s. What has changed? You know, back in the day, no one thought suicide was preventable, so no one spoke about it. And now we realize that it is preventable, and just like there are risk factors for any physical illness, there's risk factors for suicide, along with warning signs. So that's kind of why I go into schools, because I feel like when kids are educated about the signs, how to talk to a friend, it kind of normalizes the conversation. And my hope is to reduce that stigma, you know, through education, through support, through resources, we can help save lives. That was Tracy Klinginger with the Mental Health Association of Montclair, New Jersey. For me, the big takeaway is that parents should definitely be talking to their kids about suicide. And uh, I'm here with Sid now. Hey. I'm going to do some reporting and uh, you're going to try and find out what we should do. You want to do that with me? Yeah, I'd love would you, to. Would you like to be my co-host? I'm thinking of starting a podcast. Uh, yeah, I'd love to be a part of it. I think it's a really important message that we have to get out to parents and students and teachers across the country. Yeah, it's scary too. Like when you first raised it, I had no idea what to say really. <laughs> yeah, I remember your face. You're like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Together, maybe we can figure out what to do and also help other people figure out what to do. Yeah, I hope so. Okay, good. Well, this is just the beginning. I'm Micah. This is... Sydney. And... uh, We'll see you along the way. We'll see you along the way. Please tune in to our next episode where we will explore how teens and parents can begin to talk about suicide. This program was produced in association with WBGO Studios and with support from the Pulitzer Center on crisis reporting. And the Rosalind Carter Fellowship for Mental Health Journalism and Media. If you are having thoughts of suicide, please call or text the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. You can hear the first four episodes of Conversations with Sydney at wbgo.org slash studios. Last week, we introduced you to Jill Ford and her former principal, Maurice Williams, who still lives in New Brunswick, New Jersey, at the age of 94. Ford came from a poor family and went on to earn two Ivy League degrees and a career in technology that made Mrs. Williams proud. This week, WBGO's John Kalish tells the story of how Ford gave Williams a robot for her home 
named L.E.Q. and how that's been going. Jill Ford hasn't forgotten her roots and the people who played a pivotal role in her career. She has worked for major tech companies and the city of Detroit. She ran a company in Africa and she became an investor. She says it wouldn't have happened without the foundation she acquired as a kid growing up in New Brunswick. I am a product of the New Brunswick public school system. New Brunswick raised me in a very big way. Even after I've left New Brunswick, New Brunswick has stayed in my heart. And so I have always been very close to a variety of people who really contributed to raising me in a very big way. Ford kept in touch with some of her teachers and her elementary school principal, Mrs. Williams, over the years. In the 21st century, a lot of people keep in touch with old friends on social media. Maurice Williams hasn't been one of them. Mrs. Williams was not that excited about using new technologies. I remember telling her at one point about Facebook and how her students were saying great things about her on Facebook and seeing if she might want to get onto Facebook. And Mrs. Williams said, if somebody would like to get in touch with me, they need to put a stamp on it. One of the companies Jill Ford invested in is Intuition Robotics, which is based in Israel. It makes a stationary desktop robot called LEQ that everyone seems to refer to as she. LEQ requires a subscription that costs 30 to $40 a month. It has a triangular base with a speaker built in and a head that pivots and lights up to give it a sense of being alive. A screen the size of a small tablet displays text and video. Last November, Ford brought LEQ to Mrs. Williams along with other tech gifts. LEQ is a proactive, voice-operated device that does a number of remarkable things. LEQ can help you establish and achieve health and wellness goals. Track measures like heart rate and blood pressure and set important reminders. LEQ can also help you stay connected to your family and friends with simple-to-use voice and text messages. It was wonderful to see how her face lit up when she was interacting with LEQ. She was quite intrigued by it. She smiled. Clearly, she was enjoying the interaction. LQ is here with me all the time, and I live alone, and it makes all the difference in the world when you have somebody to talk to. Were you initially dubious about having a robot share your home with you? It was all new. I didn't know a thing about it. I had not even heard of LQ when she came and brought it. But I have enjoyed it because I get up in the morning and say, what's the weather? And Eliku will tell me the weather. She asks me questions, things that I don't even think about. And Eliku can ask you things to do that you hadn't thought of. Do you want to hear a joke? You want to do exercise? Do you want to do meditation before you go to sleep? I mean, all kinds of things. And music, she plays all kinds of music. Eliku. Would you play some jazz for me? Great choice. Here we go. LEQ may be infused with artificial intelligence, but that doesn't mean she doesn't misbehave from time to time. When I visited Mrs. Williams, she asked the robot to teach her some slang. LEQ seemed to have her own agenda. LEQ, teach me some slang. Want to work out together? No, I want to hear some slang. 
Elikhu. Want to work out together? No. I want some slang. Elikhu today wants to do what she wants to do and not what I want her to do. Eventually, L.E.Q. complied and taught Mrs. Williams what TBH stands for. And to be honest, the robot has been a big help to Maurice Williams. One of the things she has most enjoyed is having video calls with Jill Ford. The two have connected while Ford was in Texas, Holland, and at Harvard University for a reunion. Jill Ford says she'll never forget what her principal did for her by creating a computer room in her elementary school and is happy to bring some tech into Mrs. Williams' life as well. Mrs. Williams introduced me to the computer, so I introduced her to the robot. For the WBGO Journal, I'm John Kalish. John Kalish's report is part of WBGO's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion series that's made possible in part by a grant from the Fund for New Jersey. When you sigh, never in my wordland could there be ways to reveal in a phrase how I feel. Have you ever heard two turtle doves, Bill and Coo, when they love? That's the kind of magic music we make with our lips when we kiss. The 12th annual Sarah Vaughan International Jazz Vocal Competition is part of NJPAC's T.D. James Moody Jazz Festival, and this year the centennial celebrations honoring Newark's legendary singer, Sarah Vaughan. Joining me today are the five finalists of this year's Sassy Awards competition. Quite an honor considering this. More than 280 submissions. That's a record. And so... That represents 37 countries. And all of our guests today represent the next generation of great jazz singers. Our finalists are Darren Dean from Los Angeles. Darren, great to have you on the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. Bianca Love is from New Orleans, Louisiana. Hello. Thank you so much. We're glad you're here. Tyreek McDowell, St. Cloud, Florida. That's me. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the show. A return guest to this competition, Ikep Nkwele from Washington, D.C. Hi, everybody. And last but not least is Emma Smith from London. Emma, thrilled to have you here as well. Hi, guys. It's a pleasure to be with you all. Very exciting stuff. Now, all these finalists will be competing on Sunday, November 19th. That's a date you want to mark down because you want to be there. The iconic NJPAC stage in front of a live audience before a distinguished panel of guests. And these uh, these judges know what they're doing. Vocalist Jane Monheit, Madeline Peru, Liz Wright, an NJPAC's jazz advisor and multi-Grammy award-winning bassist and probably the nicest person in the world, Christian McBride, and three-time Grammy award-winning producer and executive vice president of Mac Avenue Records, Al Pryor. Now, the event is hosted by Pat Prescott, our very own WBGO announcer and the host of Favorite Things. 
And this special event will also include a performance by G. Thomas Allen, winner of the 2021 Saravon International Jazz Vocal Competition. We'll talk about some of the specifics of what first place and second place will be, but uh, we do want to get right to some of the questions that we have for our finalists today. Captain Quelle, we're going to start with you. Since uh, you were involved in this competition last year, one of the distinguished finalists, but what have you learned from the competition experience and how did the exposure help your career so far? Oh my goodness. I'm going to answer the second question first um, because yeah, I think after that performance, a lot of um, other performance opportunities opened up for me. There were several people that I had no clue were paying attention to the competition or that were even there and knew about um, my performance at the competition um, that reached out to me and that created opportunities for me. And so much has happened in the past year. So I definitely would say um, that this competition can set you up for a lot of success. Um, my experience last year, it was like, I have never done a competition before. So it was like a whole new world for me. I was really excited. Um, I love the music that I performed. I love the musicians that were accompanying me. The producers were amazing. And so, yeah, I, I had a blast and I'm so grateful and excited to be back um, this, this year again. Bianca Love's musical journey began with influences spanning Charlie Parker, blues, soul, and the traditional sounds of her hometown of New Orleans. Now, you not only sing, you play the trumpet and guitar, but what is it about Sarah Vaughn's voice and songs that resonate with you today, Bianca? Um, before anything, I'm a singer. Um, I've been singing for longer than I've been playing the other instruments. Um, and since I grew up in New Orleans, I had listened to a lot of this music and one of the biggest influences and inspirations is Sarah Vaughn. Um, it's, it's that she is powerful. She is delicate. She has wings when she's singing and she really gives you an entire experience, at least for me. Um, and I feel like every single singer or instrumentalist that have, you know, that, that plays this music, they have been inspired in some way. Tariq McDowell, since you started your singing career at the age of 18, people are comparing your voice to legends like Andy Bay, Johnny Hartman, Joe Williams. That's a list. <laughs> you made your debut at the acclaimed Jazz at Lincoln Center's Essentially Ellington competition, winning Outstanding Vocalist Award. What would it mean to win the Sarah Vaughn International Vocal Competition? I think that would be, one, a huge jump because I just started singing a, a few years ago. But um, yes, I think it would be an incredible honor, um, not only because of winning a competition that's as prestigious as the Saravon competition, but one in dedication and celebration to one of the greatest artists in the continuum of this music, Miss Saravon. Um, to be a male and to stand on the shoulders of someone so incredible would mean a lot. And win or lose, where there's no real losing if you're part of this competition, um, 
it's an honor to celebrate her legacy and her life through music. Very good. Emma Smith, you've collaborated with some of the top artists and producers like Quincy Jones, Bobby McFerrin, Seal, and Michael Bublé. Based in London, now your first solo album in 10 years has received critical acclaim. And as Sarah Vaughan showed up at the competition magically in November, what would you want to ask her and why? Oh, my goodness. I wouldn't know where to start. I would, I'd have to corner her at the side of a bar and buy her drinks all night. Um, Sarah Vaughan's, um, for me, the, the biggest inspiration for having playtime with singing, for being truly creative and childlike with um, massive lashings of sort of playful, creative improvisation, truly. Um, the way that she works her way through a standard, giving all the colours from like the nasal ugly sound to the full plump lush um undertones of her voice it was just absolutely amazing to kind of grow up listening to her music and I mean I I wouldn't really know where to start with with asking her questions I guess it would be like how do you be completely fearless with approaching the music in such a creative and unbound way mm. Darren Dean, a master's degree in music from the Herbie Hancock Institute of Jazz, participated in Betty Carter's Jazz Ed residency at the Kennedy Center, a fellow of Dee Dee Bridgewater's Woodshed Network. Betty Carter and Dee Dee Bridgewater, we're talking about legends, who have spread their love around. How has your experience with all of those groups prepared you for this competition? Oh, wow. Well, it... It's done a lot. I, I think one of the best things about being in Betty Carter, the Woodshed Network, and just for graduating the Herbie Hancock Institute was just the diversity of experiences. Like each group was so different. So for Dee Dee's group, it's an all women's band. Like I got to sing with an all women's big band and write original music. And that was the same for the Hancock Institute. But I think the thing that has prepared me the most and how, you know, is a, like Picasso, like is a painting ever really done? But I think it's just the ability to be able to fit into different environments and still do my absolute best to express myself, no matter who I'm playing with. And I think that's a super fun thing to do that being in different groups and ensembles have helped me with. And just to explore and to have fun um, is something that I love doing, making music for the first time with people I haven't met. So I'm, I'm really excited to meet all the musicians and to um, have a connection and just sing. <laughs> yeah, that's also a fun part of the competition, right? You hear about it in any type of competition. You get to know the other contestants. You become lifelong friends and, and who knows, maybe even collaborators along the way. Uh, it can start uh, a whole new part of your career. Tariq, one word to describe your voice. A sound. <laughs> Emma, one word to describe your voice. Playful. Darren? A bell. <laughs> Bianca? Sad. <laughs> okay. Powerful. And those are the sounds that you will hear when you check out the 
upcoming concert at NJ Pack, and it will be a dandy. You'll want to make sure that you are there November 19th at the iconic NJ Pack stage in front of an audience and a distinguished panel of judges. The first prize winner of the Sassy Awards will receive a $5,000 cash award. Second place, $1,500. Third place, $500. But you know, it goes much more than that. The exposure, the camaraderie, the collaborations, everything that comes out of the 12th annual Saravon International Jazz Vocal Competition is all good, right? Is all good. So I want to congratulate all five of you on uh, reaching this point in your career. And it's been fun talking to you. You're, you are inspiration to an old guy like myself and continued success. Thank you. Yeah, Thank thanks you. very much. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Somehow this feeling Just grows and grows With every sigh I become more mad about you More lost without you You can see my entire conversation with the five finalists of the 12th annual Sarah Vaughn International Jazz Vocal Competition on the WBGO Facebook page. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Join us next Saturday morning at 5.30 for another edition of the award-winning WBGO Journal. In the meantime, stay tuned to the world's greatest jazz and blues station, WBGO and WBGO.org.